0: everybody. Uh, Good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Welcome those of you over in East Hall. So glad everyone is here with us. We have a theme for this year. It's Transformed 2018. Transformed 2018. Last week I invited you to uh, take uh, a survey online called Next Step Assessments. And the idea was that you would answer a series of questions, I think it's about 30 questions, that would kind of uh, help you figure out where you feel like you are spiritually and then give you a plan to where you might want to go uh, spiritually. And we had over 900 of you fill that out uh, this past week, which is great. And if you filled it out, by the way, and you didn't get a plan, it means you didn't do the last step of the assessment. I can tell you that because I didn't get a plan. And uh, I went to the people, and I said, when, when am I going to get my plan? And they said, uh, you didn't do the last step. So if you didn't do the last step, or you didn't get a plan, you fill out an assessment, email us, we'll get you a plan. But I'm really excited that at least 900 of you are serious enough about your faith that you want a plan to take you from where you feel like you are to where you feel like God wants you to be. And the only thing better than having a plan is actually working the plan. So I want to challenge you to do something before this month ends, some next step to take you a little bit deeper into your faith and into your understanding of Jesus. And that might be joining a community group, if you're not a part of a community group. Uh, We're having a community group open house at the Hudson campus uh, on uh, January 28th. And if you can go, if you're interested at all, you can go there and you can figure out whether that will fit for your next step. But do something before the month ends, just to start that movement, all right? We have been spending uh, three weeks looking at the three remarkable claims of Christianity. First, you can know God. Second, you can change. Third, God can use you to change the world. And those in Christianity, they go in that particular order. You can't change that order. If you change that order, it'll mess things up. If you try to change the world before you're changed that'll mess things up if you try to change before you really know God then that will mess you up you'll have something it just won't be Christianity Christianity always works in that order know God then God change then you can change and then God can use you to change the world last week we looked at you can know God this week we look at the great claim you can change you can change three questions i want to answer this morning what do we need to change what makes Christianity different, and then how do we actually do it? How do we actually change? Okay, what do we need to change? What makes Christianity different? How do we actually change? First, what do we need to change? Uh, Short answer, (laughs) probably more than you think, right? Uh, Last week, I told you that uh, one of the reasons that people don't read the Bible is they don't understand it. And one of the reasons they don't understand it is because what the Bible says is that you're not just, um, uh, like, spiritually sick, and if you start to pray more or read your Bible more or come to church more or give more or serve more, then that's what God is really after. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're not sick spiritually. The Bible says you're dead spiritually. And there's a big difference <laughs> between being sick and being dead, right? And if you're, if you're dead physically, it means you are completely unresponsive To physical stimuli. You can no longer see, hear, smell, taste, or touch. So spiritual stimuli doesn't do anything for you. So And that's the same way spiritually. If you're spiritually dead, spiritual stimuli will do nothing for you, which is why some people, the the first reason people don't read the Bible is they don't understand it because they're spiritually dead. The other reason people don't read the Bible (laughs) is that they do understand it. And reading the Bible sometimes can be a bummer. Uh, reading the Bible, you begin to hear kind of what God's expectations are for you, what a really good person is like. And you can read li- uh, it's almost like reading at this time of year what Dr. Oz eats, and you realize how terrible your own diet is. There are lists in the Bible that you read, and no one reads those lists and says, Hey, that's me. That's describing me. That's, that's like an autobiography. Nobody reads, Hey, You should be loving and compassionate. And goes, yeah, that's me. Yeah, check. I do that. Uh, You need to forgive those who hurt you deeply, up to 70 times 7. No one goes, yeah, that's me. Check. Meek, humble. Check, check. Right? (laughs) You read those lists, and you start feeling guilty, and you realize not only that, that you should change, but there's something inside you that wants to change, and that God is calling you to change. And the list can go, they go everywhere in your life because the amount of change that you need is probably large. Uh, I want to take you through one of those passages that has a list like that just to give you an inkling of it. And I'm sure you're thinking, oh, that's great. Good. Let's do it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I chose this passage because I'm going to use this to answer the next two questions, which is what makes Christianity different and how do we actually do it? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And let me begin at verse 17. And uh, the first thing Paul does is he describes what people are like before they know Jesus, and then he describes what they are like, or that people who come to know Jesus, and then he gives us the list of how we should be changed, in all the different areas of our lives that should change because we know Jesus. That's what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, that's what people are like before they come to know Jesus. And then he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, now here's the list. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for your members one of another. So the first thing he hits is, man, if you know Jesus, you've got to tell the truth. You gotta be people. We need to be people who don't exaggerate, who don't lie, who don't pass on false information on social media. No matter what your political stance is, you fact-check because you are a follower of Jesus, and so that's what it means that you're supposed to tell the truth. And then he goes on and says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's the whole area of how you handle your anger. He says, be angry, but don't sin. Very, very few people know how to be angry and not sin. And then he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. That covers uh, how you work why you work, what you do with your paycheck after you work, how generous you are, how much you give, that whole sector of your life. And then he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's all the whole area of communication, what you say, what you email, what you tweet, what you text. What you post, your Instagram, all of that is supposed to be for building people up, not tearing people down. And then he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That talks about emotional self-control. What do you do when somebody attacks you? Uh, What happens with Things that hurt you—do you get bitter? Do you have wrath? Do you begin to slander and talk behind people's backs? And then he says, "Be kind to one another. One another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you." Very few people can say, uh, "Yeah, the people who know me best describe me like this." The people who know me best will say, "Joe is kind, tender-hearted, forgiving other people as God in Christ forgave him." All right. And then he says, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Just be like God. That's it. Be like God. Now, I do all that because uh, my point is that we all know we need to change. Everybody knows that you need, and you know that there are lots of little changes, lots of changes that need to take place in your life. You don't have to go to church to know you need to change. Everybody knows, right? I, I Good housekeeping knows. I was walking around my house. I found this. I looked down yesterday, found this. It's the makeover edition. It's full of things telling people, hey, you know you need to change. Here's an article on what you should do to change, If you think you don't need to change, you should ask your mother-in-law. She'll give you a list. Everybody needs to change. Now, here's the thing. Every religion teaches that. Every religion teaches the basically the same moral code. Every religion will say you should tell the truth. Every religion you should forgive. Every religion you should use your anger well. Every religion says what we, goes over all those aspects. So what makes Christianity different? That's an important question because it can be confusing. I had a a guy in my office a few weeks ago who's making a transition from growing up in the Christian faith to becoming an atheist, and he's doing it Partly because he says, listen, everybody teaches the same thing about what to be, how to be good. There are different ways to be like that. So what makes Christianity different? The reason I chose this passage is because the answer to that question is right here in the middle. And it says in verse 20 to 24, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says you put off the old you and you put on the new you. That's the language of identity. That's the language of identity. And this is what makes Christianity different than every other system and every other religion. Because Christianity talks about identity all the time. That's why you have verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the language of identity. So the question is, how do you get an identity? What is an identity? An identity is what you use to let you know who you are, what you are, and how you should feel about you. Okay? An identity is what you use to tell you who you are, what you are, and how you should feel about you. And I always like point out like this, because you can't create an identity in a vacuum. You can't tell yourself who you are, what you are, how you should feel about you. You always have to use something else, something to reflect it to you. It's kind of like if you're leaving your house and you don't have a physical mirror to tell you how you look, you have to ask like your spouse who's there because you can't can't look down and and decide. So if I'm leaving my house, I'll look at my wife and I'll say, honey, how do I look? Is this okay? And then I, I look at her face because her face will tell me. Because she'll look at me and she'll go, um, you look good. And I'll go, wait, your your words said I look good, but your face said no, right? What are you telling me? We look at people's faces because people's faces tell us how how we should feel about us. I was on a mission trip several years ago, uh, on a medical mission trip from our church to India. And I was working with a dentist from our church who was, uh, I was his dental assistant for the week. And uh, we were, he was working on this like 12-year-old boy, and he had already given him the xylocaine or whatever to deaden uh, his mouth so he couldn't feel anything. And then he was, the, he was digging an, an abscessed tooth out, right? And I'm behind him, and I'm ready to hand him the instruments as he asked for them. And I've never seen anything like that before, so I'm looking over his shoulder, and he starts to dig the tooth out, and I'm like, like that, I'm not making any noises. But he was working on this kid and he looks at the kid's eyes and then he goes, <laughs> looks back at me like He goes, Joe, what are you doing? Quit making those faces. And I was going, sorry, I can't help it. But what he was saying is that my face was communicating to this boy. Even though he couldn't feel anything, I was communicating what he should be feeling. That's what happens, right? Tell me what your identity is based on. What tells you who you are, what you are, how you should feel about you? When I was in high school, it was easy. Uh, I was into athletics, particularly basketball. So it was basketball that told me who I was, what I was, how I should feel about me. And if my identity is in basketball, question, how important were the games? Oh, hugely important. Hugely important. I just read an article on uh, so, uh, Harvard University because they are, they are, uh, they're struggling with so many students uh, who, are being, who are depressed, and so they're trying to figure out why. And the article said they think one of the reasons why students at Harvard get depressed is because the vast majority of students at Harvard were valedictorians in their high school. So they never got Bs. They got all As. And then they go to Harvard, and somebody's going to get Bs and Cs. And when they got B's and C's, they sunk into depression, because the grades weren't just grades. The grades are what told them who they are, what they are, how they should feel about them. A man sees himself as a provider and suddenly loses his job. It's more than a job. It's what he looks at to tell him who he is, what he is, how he should feel about him.. Now, uh, A woman sees herself as a mom. You ever see a mom just go off on her kids in public because they're misbehaving? It's not because she doesn't care enough. It's because she cares too much. Because her kids are a reflection on her. Her kids are telling her how she should feel about her. You tell me what your identity is, what you use to determine who you are, what you are, how you should feel about you, and I can pretty much guess where your pressure points will be for anger for losing your temper, for fear, for anxiety, for worry, for uh, defensiveness, for sending nasty emails, all of that because your identity is everything. Christianity is different than all other systems because Christianity sees that the problem is in your identity and so the solution must be there, which is why Christianity will say 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they're new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. What does that mean? Right in the middle of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to some people, and some religious leaders come up to him. They're called Pharisees, and they ask him this question. They say, Jesus, we have a question for you. Why are you hanging out with such scum? Jesus had been meeting with these people, and become friends with this group of people, that were considered uh, moral reprobates. They didn't just need to change a few things; these people needed to change everything. He was meeting with some women who were prostitutes who were in between clients. He had he had people who were uh, politically who were um, political crooks. He had people that were probably part of the organized crime. They were all thieves and liars, and he had them all there. And this the group of religious leaders, when they came up to Jesus, they didn't even pull Jesus aside and say, hey Jesus, could you come over here? We got a question for you. We don't want them to hear. Why are you hanging out with them?" That's not what they did. They came right up to the whole group and they said, hey Jesus, we have a question for you. Why are you hanging out with this scum? Right? What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't go, oh, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Listen, we've been working. I've been working on these people. And, you know, This woman here Uh, Diamond. She was dancing at the gentleman's club down the street, but she quit dancing. Now she's a secretary. She still takes ecstasy sometimes, but we're working on that. And this is Phil. Phil cheats on. Was cheating on his wife, but I got him to stop. And now he's he still struggles with pornography, but we're working on it. He doesn't like pull him up and just say, "Oh, let me show you the progress we're making." Right. These, this group, they look at Jesus after the religious leaders come up and ask him that question. And they wonder if their friendship with Jesus is over. If Jesus is going to all of a sudden see them the way the Pharisees see them, or if Jesus will see them the way they see themselves when they look in the mirror. And Jesus says, oh, you want to know why I hang out with these people? I'll tell you, and he launches into a story of all things. And he says, this is why. This is in Luke chapter 15. He says, a father had two sons, and the younger son asked him for his inheritance. And it broke his dad's heart, but he went ahead and gave his youngest son his inheritance. And the youngest son took all that money and all that wealth, and he went to a faraway country. And he spent it all on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And he came to the end of his rope, and he couldn't even afford rehab. And then he decided his only hope was to make the journey back home And he had maybe in his mind, he had, maybe my dad will see his way clear to give me a job. And then Jesus says, but while he was a long way away, his father saw him and began to run to him. And he ran to him and when he got close, he opened up his arms and then he grabbed him and he held him close and he began to weep and he said, this is my son, my son, my son. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and has been found. Right? You I uh, imagine that group that Jesus had been meeting with when the religious leaders came up. And they were hanging on every word that Jesus said. Because whether they realized it or not, they were asking Jesus, how should I feel about me? How do you feel about me? What Jesus was telling them was that identity is based on a face, on a face. There is only one real mirror, and that's the face of God. And so the question is, what do you see when you look into God's face? What, what, does, he, what does his face look like? Is it, is it a scowl because he's angry with you? Is it disappointment because he's disappointed with you? Or does his face light up, because he loves you. And he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. Listen, those people that Jesus was hanging around with, they didn't need to make just a couple of tweaks in their lives to become better people. They needed to change everything. They needed to change a thousand things. And what was Jesus' plan? Jesus' plan was this. I came to change two things. I will, I will change these two things for you, and that will give you the power to make the thousand other changes. that will change everything about you. I came to change what God sees when he looks at you, and I came to change what you see when you look into the face of God, and it will cost me everything. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And that's the gospel. Because when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, it means he sees the righteousness of Jesus. When you look at God's face, if you are in Christ, his face lights up. And he says, I love you, you are mine. You are my son, you are my daughter. And Jesus says that has the power to change everything about you. The Bible never creates a list of the thousand things you need to change. Every other religion does that, by the way. Every other religion says, oh, this is what you need to do and change. You need to climb your way up this ladder to become the kind of person that you should be. That's not the way Christianity does it. Christianity says Jesus came to make two great changes. And those two great changes, if you believe them, will change everything about you and will give you the power to change everything. And that brings me to the third question, which is how do we actually do it? How do we actually do it? Because if you're like me, all of us struggle. We end up having the same kind of th- sins that pull us back, and we end up going, man, why, do, why is it taking me so long to change? And this is why we have this year where we're just going to talk about being transformed this whole year. This is uh, why I picked this passage, too. That He says, you put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, to put on the new self created in the likeness of God. There are always two movements. You put off what your identity used to be based on. You put off the idea that your, your identity is based on what you do or how you look or who your friends are or who you're, in, who you're in relationship with, and you put on the new identity that is based on the only true mirror in the entire universe, which is the face of God himself. And you always have to do both things. Right? If we become a church that only puts off the old identity, that we'll end up with that big long list and will become very legalistic because we won't be putting anything on. But if you go to the other side and you say, you know what, I'm not going to put off, I'll just put on God and His, and his you know, grace for me, then you become the kind of hypocrite that people always talk about. Oh yeah, he says he's a Christian, but he lives like everybody else. There isn't a single change in his life. He still does the same old stuff. And what Christianity says is you put off and you put on. And the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher uh, from the last century. And he said the Christian life in in some ways is like uh, the American slave back in the 1860s who had lived their whole lives as a slave and then the Emancipation Proclamation declared them free. But all they'd known was slavery. And so every part of their life, they saw themselves as a slave. That was their identity. And all of a sudden, somebody said, listen, your identity has changed. You need to take that and work it into every part of your life. You, know, you need to begin to act like a free person in, in your work. Act like a free person when you walk. Through. Act like a free person in your relationship. Act like a free person in your family. And that's what we need to do. Is that, you know, last week I told you that, um, that the grace of Jesus was so powerful. It was like a, like a magic potion. They, a single drop of grace on the lips of somebody who's dead would bring them alive like that. But the grace of Jesus flows out. It is abundant grace, right? It is grace greater than all our sin. And that's true. But I started thinking for me, I need to. I need to go through my life, I need to, to, to imagine that I have this little vial of grace. And every time I sin, every time, every time you are caught up in anger and you hit one of those pressure points where you lose your temper or you get anxious or you get fearful or you, you strike back or you get defensive, what you need to do is apply that grace and say, well, no, no, wait. The only reason you're doing any of that is because you're beginning to, you're going back to your old identity. And you're saying, what makes me is being right, what makes me is being in relationship, what makes me is how I work, what makes me is what I do. And you need to go back here and say, no, that's not me. I've been set free. That what makes me me, what tells me who I am, what I am, how I should feel about me, is the very face of God. When God looks at me, his face lights up. So this is what I'm trying to do, and I've been trying to do it all this week since I thought of this message, is that in every aspect of my life, I try to, I'm trying to add grace and just say, remind yourself of the gospel. When you're at a, a sporting event, if, you're, if you are a student and you are taking a test, you remind yourself that it's just a test. If you're at a sporting event and you're playing, it's just a sporting event. It's not your identity. If you're watching your kids play, it's just, you're just watching them play. It's not a reflection on you. You get your identity from Jesus, if you lost your job, if you're losing your marriage, if whatever's going on, you need to keep applying grace and going back to the face of the Father. I uh, I read this story about Augustine. We call him St. Augustine now, but before he became a Christian, he was kind of a wild liver, and he had lovers in a lot of different cities. And he was at uh, one of those cities, and he hadn't visited it Uh, Since he had become a Christian, and one of his lovers saw him, and she hadn't seen him in a while, and she came up to him and she said, "Augustine, you're here. Let's spend the weekend together." Now, Augustine didn't look at her and say, "No, listen, I'd love to, but I can't. It's on my, (laughs) it's on my do not do list now because I'm a Christian," and he didn't say, "Oh, you know what? I have grace. I can always ask for forgiveness." So sure let's spend the weekend together because I have the face of the Father and he delights in me. What happened is that uh, she said, Augustine, let's spend the weekend together. And he turned to walk away and she thought he didn't recognize her. And she said to him, Augustine, it's me. And he turned around and smiled at her and he said, yeah, I know. But it's not me. It's not me. See what Augustine had put together is that the power of Christianity is not that you have a do not do and a do list. The power of Christianity is your very identity. And what Augustine said is, I'm not the man I used to be because I don't get my identity from what I used to get my identity in. Instead, I get my identity from the only face that really matters because Jesus came and he made two great changes and I've accepted both. One is when Jesus came, he changed what God sees when he looks at me. And when Jesus came, he changed what I see when I look at the face of God. Do you know that? Do you know that? That's why it always goes in this order. You have to know God first before you make changes. But when you really know him through Jesus, then those two changes give you the power to make the thousand other changes that you need to make in your life, if you'll add grace, if you'll remind yourself every day that you have been set free by Jesus. All right? Transformed in 2018. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I do love you. I love this whole thing. Uh, I love that there's a difference between you and every other system, and everyone knows, I know, I need to change, but you're the only one who has come to me and said, I will make the two big changes that will give you the power to change everything else. If you'll just remember, I pray for every person here. Uh, I pray for the people who have not made, who have not accepted the two great changes that you've done and don't really know you. I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you. I pray for those of us who do know you, that you will remind us all the time that you came to change what God sees when he looks at us and what we see when we look at the face of God. Thank you for claiming us, for making us sons and daughters of the Most High God. We pray this in your name. Amen.